are some, not all, but some of our white educated brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, someone thought that was important for me to mention, so I mention it here. But I also want you to know that there are times that I say some things that upset some of my African-American brothers and sisters as well. Um, and one of our elders said, so you're an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and I had to admit guilty as charged. Um, but I wonder if our Asian and Hispanic people, sometimes, do you all feel lonely and get left out of this black and white thing? Uh, do you just feel like, you know, nobody's talking about us? We're just cruising, put our heads down and keep going. Uh, let the whites and blacks figure this thing out, but I'm just going to keep my head down and keep going. Uh, but let me tell you, it really still is uh, the greatest privilege of my life uh, to be the pastor at such a multicultural, multi-ethnic church as Uptown Baptist. And I don't take that privilege lightly. Um, it's a great responsibility as well. And I don't take that lightly either. And so I do covet your prayers um, because it is not easy. But I also pray for you because I know it's not easy for you, for some of you as well. And so we can pray for each other and uh, love one another and bear with one another and be patient with, with each other and talk with each other. I think we'll, we're going to make some progress. And... Uh, will be a model that the world can follow. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for this special privilege that is mine to stand at this sacred pulpit to preach your holy word to your holy people. And even some who may be here who are not yet your people. And so God, I pray that your word might take root and bear fruit in our lives. And that we would listen carefully to every word that is said. I pray that you would guard the doorposts of my lips as well. That I would only say what you've put on my heart and in my notes to say. And that everything that I say is from you and not from my flesh. So that the Spirit might be glorified and your bride might be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have read the command in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Never seen that command in the Bible, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now it's one thing to be filled, or to be told to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and another thing to know how to do it. The problem is that there are no, there are no chapter headings in the Bible which read, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In his excellent book on the Holy Spirit, the late Billy Graham said that the teaching on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit can be summarized in three words. Understanding submission and faith understanding submission and faith so first of all what is it that we need to understand about being filled with the holy spirit the first truth we need to understand is that the holy spirit indwells every believer at the time of our conversion 
Remember Jesus told his disciples that after he would leave them, that he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them and to live in them. And so please understand that if you are a true believer in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit. This is a fact that must be accepted by faith. Of course, many of us have some evidence of a changed life at the very point of our conversion. Your life was going in this direction, a life of destruction and confusion and hopelessness, and Christ intervened and saved you and turned you around, and now your life is filled with peace and with direction and with hope. And you know for sure your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven. All believers should have evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as he is constantly changing us to become more like Christ. But I think we can all agree that some days we don't feel like Christians, do we? Some days we don't think, speak, or act like Christians. Sometimes we don't feel the Holy Spirit's work in us. We, we don't sense the Holy Spirit's presence with us. That's just a fact of life. The Christian life is that way sometimes. Therefore, we must remember that God's Word says, despite our feelings that come from our failures or the failures of others, God word, God's Word tells us plainly that we belong to Him, that the Holy Spirit is in us at the point of our conversion. Check out Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Jesus was teaching His disciples how to pray. And check this out. you got to love Jesus. I mean, He calls His disciples evil. Jesus said, even though y'all are evil, you still give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your perfect heavenly Father give the blessed Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, how many of you would have missed this teaching on prayer because you got stuck on the fact that Jesus called his disciples evil? Huh? You'd be like, oh, no, he didn't. Did he just call us evil? Matthew, Mark, John, hey, did he just call us evil? I know he didn't. I'm not sure I can follow this dude. He called us evil. Some of us would get, if we were listening to Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, I'm, I guarantee some of us would get stuck at some of the things he said, and we would be offended. And we, wouldn't, we would forget the rest of the, what he was trying to say. Listen, relax and try not to get stuck when harsh truth is spoken to you. Keep listening, keep asking questions, and you will learn whatever God has for you to learn. Guaranteed. Now, where were we? Oh, yeah. We're talking about the fact that every believer has the Holy Spirit. But that sometimes we don't feel like we have the Holy Spirit, and so we must trust the Word of God and not our feelings. Now, this verse reminds us that for those who don't have the Holy Spirit, it's not because God's stingy and, and doesn't want them to have the Holy Spirit. 
Just the opposite is true. God longs for everyone to have his Holy Spirit, but there's something that blocks the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Do you know what it is? Sin. Thank you, Chrissy. That's why you're sitting in the front of the class. For the unbeliever who loves his sin and rejects the gospel, they will not ask God for his Holy Spirit to come and cleanse their lives and make them new. And for the believer who loves her sin and refuses to repent, they cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist put it this way, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord wouldn't have listened to my prayers and my praises. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, just after Jesus told his disciples that he would, he would be rejected and killed and resurrected, he then told them that if they really want to follow him, they must deny themselves, take up their own crosses, and follow him daily. And it was a cross of death. Now, we know that Jesus meant the crucifixion of our selfishness, our sinful preferences, our selfish wants, the unforgiveness and the pride in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters. But I think he also meant that we must be willing to die the death that he died. How many of you know that most of the disciples were persecuted and killed? Some crucified like Jesus, some covered with tar and torched like a backyard uh, tiki. Thank you, Chrissy. Some thrown to the lions in the Colosseum because they obeyed Jesus' command to take up their cross daily. They were willing to suffer and die in addition to being willing to do the smaller things to suffering and dying, which is to obey and to submit to one another and to repent and to forgive. And, and so if we are unwilling to completely deal with every sin in our hearts, we cannot expect to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So now that we understand these two truths, we move on to the second word, which is submission. Submission. First one is, to un is understanding. We have some understanding now about the Holy Spirit. The fact that we all have him if we are true believers. And secondly, the only thing that blocks his flow in us is our sin. But submission. If we know that sin blocks the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then how are we supposed to deal with our sin? The sin that crops up in our Christian life from day to day, month to month, week to week. The answer is simply stated, but harder to do. We must constantly confess our sins and repent of our sins. Remember that sin is anything we do, say, or think that offends God. Sin may also be anything we don't do, say, or think that offends God. When God commands us in his word to do or say something or think a certain way, 
and we fail to do it, we have sinned against our righteous and holy God. And when God commands us in his word not to do or think or say certain things, and then we do those things, or we, we don't do those things, then we are offending God. We sin against him. And so to confess our sins is to acknowledge before God that we have offended him by the wrong we have done in his presence. And it's important to name the wrong that we've done, said, or thought. We need to be specific with God because he is specific with us, is he not? The only way we know we have sinned is because God has written down his moral law in the Bible as well as on our hearts. And so once we confess our sins, the next step is to what? Repent. Confession is good for the soul, but also along with confession is repentance. To repent means to turn away from doing, saying, and thinking the wrong things and to start doing, saying, and thinking the right things. To repent means to do a 180. So if I'm going in this direction and then it's the wrong direction, confession is to stop and say, you know what? I'm going in the wrong direction. That's confession. Repentance is to say, you know what? I'm not going to keep going in this wrong direction. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to do a 180 and go in the right direction. That's repentance. To repent means to do a 180, to make a U-turn. Now, confessing and repenting of sin is hard for most of us, but here's the good news. God is so gracious and kind, he promises to forgive us and to cleanse us every time we confess. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. That's the super crazy, amazing God that we serve. You say, why is it so important to God for us to confess and repent and for him to forgive and to cleanse us? Simple. Because he is righteous. God is righteous. He is holy. He is just. Therefore, those of us who are now related to him by grace through faith in his son, Jesus... We are now expected to be righteous, holy, and just as he is. Jesus one day said to his disciples, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. See, he paid the ultimate price to make us holy, but because we still live in this sinful flesh and on this sinful planet, we sometimes sin and we become unholy. And when that happens, our sweet fellowship And unity is broken because the holy God cannot have fellowship with sinners. And so we must do our part to deal with the sin that breaks our fellowship and separates us from God. Now, as an unbeliever, the only way that you can deal with your sin is to say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, so please save me. Forgive me of my sin I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. And then once you become a believer, God begins to change your heart and you begin to 
to live a more righteous or a more perfect life, pleasing to him, but you still sin. I still sin. And so the way we deal with our sin as believers is the same way. We quote 1 John 1, 9 and thank God for it and say, God, forgive me, I sin. And here's what I did that sinned against you or my brother or my sister. And then sometimes we have to go to our brothers and sisters and say, I sinned against you. Or sometimes we need to go to a brother or sister and say, you sinned against me. You offended me. And give them an opportunity to be reconciled to you. And that's important because God paid such a high price to make us holy and pure and to unify us in his one body called the church. He paid the ultimate price to make us holy. And so we must do our part to deal with the sin that breaks our fellowship and separates us from God. Now, confession and repentance are only the first part of submission. The other part is yielding ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. Billy Graham put it this way, How easy is it for us to set up our own goals, operate our own motives on our own, by our own motives, and seek our own desires without ever asking God for his will above all else? He calls us to renounce our plans and practices and seek his ways. He asks us to step off of the throne of our own lives and to let him rule in every area and in everything we do. End quote. Then Billy Graham goes on to quote the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, who said to the church in Corinth, And he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf, 2 Corinthians 5.15. See, when was the last time you checked your schedule or your plans with God? Have you done that, ever done that? Have you ever, in your prayer time, laid out your schedule for your day or your week or your month or laid out your plans, some goals, some dream that you say, God... This is what I think I'm, I'm, I'm sh I should be doing today or this week. Um, what do you think about it? This is a big purchase I'm getting ready to make. What do you think about it? This is what I'm thinking about doing with this person or with that person. What do you think about that? Because I want to do what pleases you. I don't want to just rush off with my life and my own schedule and plans without consulting you. Ephesians 5, 17 through 21 says this, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is. That's the command, which is the theme of this last message on the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the church, don't be foolish, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now again, somebody can get stuck. Did he just call me a fool? I'm fighting words. You just called me a fool. No, what he said was, don't be foolish in your actions. He's not calling you foolish or a fool. He's saying, don't be foolish in what you do with your freedom you have in Christ. 
In other words, don't use your freedom in Christ to get drunk like you used to get drunk because that's not good for you and it's not a good testimony to the world. It's destructive behavior. So don't act in a foolish way. But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with the spirit of Jim Beam and Hennessy and Colt 45. Don't be filled with that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a different kind of spirit. And that spirit makes you lose control of your body and your mind if you have too much of it. So now, Paul then seemingly gives us clues on how to be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 19, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 21, here it is again, just like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Maybe these aren't really clues on how to be, to be filled, but rather these are ways in which the Holy Spirit oozes out of us. In other words, these, these are the evidences that one is filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when we declog our spiritual pores of sin... There are way, these are the ways in which the Holy Spirit oozes out of us almost automatically. Say, what do you mean? So somebody comes to you and says, hey, how you doing? And you say, how great is our God. Sing with me. How? And then they start singing like y'all singing. Maybe that's what it means to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You ever thought about that? You ever been in a church with an antiphonal choir where a bunch of folks in the choir are over here in the choir loft, a bunch of folks are over here, and this group over here gets started singing, and then it almost is like a call and response, and they go back and forth. It's incredible. Or how about the Gregorian chants? Some of us listen to Gregorian chant, ancient form of worship music. It's, it's incredible. Maybe that's, these folks were listening, reading this passage of scripture, and they said, let's see if we can practice this thing. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So how are you doing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Can you imagine if that's actually how we answered each other? You all know when you ask me how I'm doing, you know my response. It is well with my soul. And sometimes I start singing it. It's a great song by that title. How are the children? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, oh, oh my soul. Dr. David uh, Anuha, when I asked how the children, he says all the sectors are covered. The general is sipping coffee. Which is his way of saying, it's all good, Pastor. Bless the Lord. Somebody else asks you, how are you doing with your news that you now have cancer? God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. 
Can you, can you answer questions about tough stuff in life with a, a song? What's new at work? Oh, nothing much. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. <laughs> oh, what if, we, what if we literally practice commands of Scripture like that? How would that change our lives? How would that change our interactions? How would that change the view of our circumstances and situations? See, when you're filled with the Spirit, you are simultaneously filled with a new song in your heart. The scripture also says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are simultaneously filled with gratitude in all things, in every circumstance. So someone asks you, how's that situation with your marriage? And you can still say, you know what, it's rough, but we we're trying to work it out. And I know God is in this thing with us. Praise the Lord anyhow. See, as we practice obeying the one another commands of Scripture, maybe that's when we are filled with His Holy Spirit. And as we are filled with His Holy Spirit, we continue to practice obeying the one another commands of Scripture. And so the more we yield ourselves completely to God in submission... To obey his commands, the more we experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he illustrates this point powerfully. Romans 6, 13 to 18, he says, Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are no longer under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. That though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What parts of your body have you regularly offered to sin? Think about that. What parts of your body have you regularly offered to sin? How many of you have offered your eyes to view the sin of pornography? How many of you... Regularly offer your tongue to speak sinful lies. How many of you offer your ears to hear juicy gossip? How many of you offer your heart as a harbor for anger, bitterness, jealousy, and unforgiveness? See, Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, offer your body parts your tongue, your eyes, your ears, your offer yourselves, every part of your body to God as those who have been brought from death to life. God, give God all of your body parts as instruments of righteousness. 
And you can get creative and literally offer your various body parts to God. Telling him that you are dedicating them to some act of righteousness. Job did that. Job said, God, I am making a covenant with my eyes today not to look lustfully upon a woman. Job said that. He offered, he took his eyeballs as if they were in his hands and said, God, I'm making a covenant with these eyeballs that I'm not going to look lustfully at another woman other than my wife. That's an example of what Paul is saying in this text. And so some of us are struggling in different parts of our body because we are giving over that part of our body to do things that lead to death and that led Jesus to death on the cross. And Paul says, don't keep doing that. Instead of doing that, take that same body part and now offer it to God as an instrument of righteousness, not of sin. To submit the members of your body to God is to purpose in your heart to live in obedience to his commands. It's like your job. You and your boss have an agreement that there are a certain number of hours you are committed to work, right? And that during those hours, whatever assignment your boss gives to you to do, you gladly do them to the best of your ability in exchange for what? Your paycheck, right? But when your workday is over, you're free to do whatever you want to do, right? I mean, that's your own free time to do with as you please. Well, for the slave that Paul has in mind here, the first century slave, there's no such thing as free time for the slave. There was no time which belonged to the slave because the slave did not belong even to himself. The slave belonged to his master, so every single moment of every single day belonged to his master. The slave was never at ease to do whatever pleased him. That's the picture Paul had in mind as he wrote Romans chapter 6. The slave could not serve two masters, even if one of his masters was himself, because he exclusively belonged to the one master who paid the price for him. The same is true for every believer. God paid the ultimate price for us, and that price was the blood of his one and only son. He purchased us from the slave market of sin and brought us into his forever family of righteousness. But here's where the illustration breaks down. This is incredible. Watch this. Every believer is free in Christ Jesus. We are actually free to do what we want to do, and we are also free to do what we ought to do. We're no longer compelled by God's law, but by his love. And so members of the church in Corinth were claiming their rights to liberty in Christ to do whatever they wanted to do. And Paul agreed with them that they had rights of freedom, but he also warned them that not everything we, they were free to do was wise or beneficial for them in, or their fellow believers. In other words, just because we have the right to do something doesn't make it the smart thing to do, right? And just because we have the right to say something doesn't mean it's a good idea to say it. It may not be good for you, and it may not be good for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, Paul urges us to use our freedoms in Christ carefully and thoughtfully. Make sure that the outcome that you have in mind leads to the glory of God and 
to the good of your fellow brothers and sisters. So submitting ourselves to God is a lot like a marriage relationship. When I asked my wife to marry me, I was taking her off the single market. And I paid the bride price to bring her into my family. I adopted her. I gave her my name. And in exchange, she gave me herself exclusively. And I gave myself exclusively to her. And we have an agreement that the only other person welcomed in our marriage is the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, he's the glue that holds us together. Now, there's a certain sense that my wife and I are free to sleep around with other people. I mean, if I get caught sleeping with another woman, the popo is not going to arrest me and take me to jail. Because there's no earthly law against that. So there's no fear of that. Now, my wife might kill me. That's another matter. So what keeps us submitted to each other and faithful to each other? I mean, there are a lot of other beautiful women out there. And I see them every day. It's the deep love that we have for each other and the commitment we made to each other before God and our witnesses at our wedding. That's what keeps us together. It's not some law. It's our love and God's love. It's not that we never fuss and fight. It's not that our marriage is perfect and that we never disappoint each other and sin against each other. It's the simple fact that God has showered his love, mercy, and grace upon us and we are ever learning how to shower each other with love and grace and mercy that we have received from him. See, we're ever learning how to submit ourselves to each other, which sometimes means that we choose to limit our freedoms for the sake of the other. And rather than focusing on our rights, we are learning to ask more important questions like, what's my responsibility to my spouse? Not what is my right as a spouse. So how can I please him or her? How can I speak his or her love language? What's best for our marriage and our family? Not just what's best for me and my passions. I think that's what's wrong with our country. So many groups fighting for their own rights instead of thinking about what's really best for our whole nation. The same can be said when there is disunity in the church. And now I realize that there are some groups that have legitimate grievances that must be addressed. But when we are so focused on our own rights, we sometimes lose focus on the responsibilities of the larger body, larger society. So in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we've learned that we must understand that every believer is given the Holy Spirit at conversion. And that the only thing that limits the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives is sin. And we've learned that we must confess and repent of our sins. And then willingly, cheerfully learn to submit ourselves to God's laws because they are motivated by his love for us. Finally, and we'll close with this, faith is the third word associated with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Christian life is a life of faith. It is a faith walk. There's no way in the world that we can be obedient to Romans 12, 1 and 2 without a deep abiding faith in God. If God gives us some instruction in his word concerning certain areas of our lives, to walk by faith means, it means that we must trust and believe that what God says about that area of our lives is true. And we must submit or align our lives in obedience to his word. Why? Because I believe that God loves me. I believe God cares for me. I believe he is wiser than me and he gives me this instruction for my own good. And it's for my benefit. And so I trust his wisdom and his counsel and his direction and so I will do what he says to do. Listen. Listen to the definition of faith and the great examples and this is the last scripture that I'll read. Hebrews chapter 11. I love this. It's called the faith chapter. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And remember, Cain got offended and killed his brother Abel. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Why? Because he was full of faith. And without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about, about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. Do you realize that when Noah built that ark, he had never seen rain? It had never rained on the earth. And God says, Noah, build an ark, there's rain coming. He's like, it's never rained. I'm 700 years old, it's never rained. What's rain? God says, build the ark. He says, okay. And he built that ark. And then the rain came. Oh, now I know what rain. See, some of us, we'd be up there arguing with God all day. Instead of just believing what God says and going to do it. By faith he made his home in the promised land. He's talking about Abraham now, verse 8. Verse 9, like a, like a stranger in a foreign country. God said, Abraham, get up from your, your own town, your own family, and go. Where are we going? I'm not telling you. How long is it going to take there? I'm not telling you. What I told you to do was go. And that's exactly what he said. Yes, sir. Okay. God, if you're telling me, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. And I'm going. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, 
was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So UBC Saints, let's make up our minds today to believe God that we are already filled with his Holy Spirit and that we will regularly confess and repent of our sins so that we will allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us and to make a difference in this world. I believe the greatest days of our church are ahead of us. If, if together we choose to live the Spirit-filled life. Let's stand as we pray. I'm going to ask Philip to just, in closing, let's just sing that song, Come to the Altar, as if we were dedicating ourselves